but maybe I should tell you that on the interview. <laughs> <laughs> and that's coming up on episode two of On Block. Welcome back to Unblock, where we get to know the leaders behind blockchain. This week, we have good news. We're officially live, and you can find us in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. So please go and subscribe in one of those platforms and give us a five-star rating. That would be greatly appreciated. If there's another platform that you're using, uh, let us know. Uh, reach out to me and let me know what platform that is, and I'll try to get the podcast in there as well. And if you want to reach out to me, go to miguelandia.com and there is an Unblock podcast link right on the front page. In this episode, we talked to the director of ecosystems at Hyperledger and the organizer of Women in Blockchain in New York City, Karen Otoni. I hope you enjoy Tony and I am uh, part of the Hyperledger team, which is part of the broader Linux Foundation. Um, and my role is director of ecosystem. So I'm based here in New York City, and what that role entails is twofold. One, it's a bit of um, evangelization and education, having people. Um, talking to people about Hyperledger, what our community is about and how you can get involved and how you can access our resources. Um, so really working with our broader open source community. And then the other side is working with our members because Hyperledger is also a consortium of 260 plus members. And so I work with them to learn about what they're building with Hyperledger um, and how we can talk about it and share it Um, as examples of what's being done with our technology. Very cool. Uh, and it seems pretty involved. And uh, maybe uh, you get to work with a lot of the users of, of, the, of the Hyperledger, uh, of the different Hyperledger offerings. Is that correct? Yeah, I get to use, uh, I get to interact with the companies who are leveraging our technology to build solutions in, around the world um in almost every industry imaginable whether it's supply chain or in healthcare um or in you know financial and digital assets um or you know media entertainment um that's what's really exciting about is i get exposed to all the ways in which this technology is being being used Very cool. So before we start talking about uh, Hyperledger and the ecosystem and, and what you do in a day-to-day -day basis, I want to talk a little bit about your, your career. I mean, you seem to have uh, had a, a very interesting career throughout the last last few years uh, and they have taken you uh, to quite a few places around the world. Can you tell us a little bit about the different places that you had lived and how did you get to this role uh, that you're in today? Yeah, I always find it um, really fascinating hearing people's stories about how they got into blockchain because they're all really, really unique. Um, this is such a new field, and so many people came into this industry um, out of a, a sense of curiosity, a sense of um, intrigue with you know 
maybe with what Bitcoin was. Um, and so I love hearing people's origin stories as well. Um, mine is definitely, uh, unique and different from, from many out there. I didn't work in finance. I didn't do any of that. Um, I worked in international development, which kind of gets confusing when I talk to software people because they're like, oh, software development. <laughs> like, no, this is a totally different thing. Um, international development is a field in which um, you have uh, NGOs, government institutions, international institutions working to help a country or a community to develop um, it, de develop itself um, economically, um, in its education system and its health system and its agricultural system. So it, it basically it works across all different sectors. Um, and so as part of being in that, in that field, um, I worked for a few different implementation consulting firms, uh, who manage USAID programs. So USAID is the U.S. Agency for International Development um, housed within our State Department, and they distribute aid to various um, priority countries around the world in order to help those countries um, further develop. How did you get to the technology part of, of uh, your career? So I worked in the field. I, I worked first starting out of D.C. That's where a lot of those organizations are based. Um, I then went and lived in East Africa for six years working on the ground um, at these organizations and in these communities. Um, and I had done some projects that focused on trade. Um, so I was interested in that. But um, I really started getting um, uh, into the more, um, you know, asset and financial world uh, when I went to grad school. So after spending some time in East Africa, I really wanted to um, uh, learn more about how um, the business approaches to the same sort of improvements that I was working on. I wanted to see what the private sector could do um, and get involved in that sense um, and, and see how I could combine my public sector sort of background um, and, and expand that with some skills in the private sector. So I went to get my MBA and um, it was there that I started to hear about um, blockchain. I had actually looked up Bitcoin on Wikipedia I, I don't know what year it was, but it was definitely like somewhere before 2013 hmm. while I was in Ethiopia using precarious internet. Um, Cause I was <laughs> keeping it in the news and, and I was just like, what is this Bitcoin thing that I keep hearing in the news? It was probably right around when my Gox was happening or something. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to know what that was cause I had no idea. And so I remember reading through the Wikipedia and being like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. It's kind of interesting. And then, you know, went and forgot about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when I was in North Carolina at grad school, um, there was this uh, crypto ventures class that I could have taken, but it didn't uh, work with my schedule. So I ended up not taking it, which would have made the first six months at my next job much easier. Um, but I was um, doing uh, the recruiting at, at school, as you, as all MBA people know and do, you know, recruiting is a big aspect of, of your school experience. And I happened to meet 
this uh, alum who was coming to recruit on campus and he worked at Tata Consulting Services and I was chatting with him and he started talking to me about what his team and what he was working on. And he worked on an innovation team and he started telling me how he was working on blockchain. And I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember this thing and I'd wanted to take that class and I wish I would have been able to take that class. And I was like, this is really cool. And it sounded to me a lot more um, unique than what some of the other consulting companies were offering where, you know, you kind of don't know what projects you're going to be on and you know, you're just going to do sort of, you know, general consulting type things. Whereas um, this was an opportunity to join this team and work on what sounded like a cool technology. So um, that's essentially how I transitioned. I applied to that job and, and joined Taza Consulting Services in New York City um, in the summer of 2016. And I like to say that the first six months in that job was basically like going back to grad school. <laughs> um, the, uh, the alum that I had met ended up becoming my boss. And, um, he had self-taught himself about blockchain and, um, and so he then took what he had learned from that experience and created a little study program, um, and which entailed reading about 50 white papers that, um, <laughs> were, were very challenging for me because, um, I really had zero tech background, hmm. like really zero um, and, um, and so reading these, you know, somewhat dense white papers where some of them have, you know, math in them. And, um, <laughs> I, I, it was challenging and, and very dry sometimes, but we, um, I, I owe a lot to, um, to this colleague, Gal Mordehai, um, because he, uh, would follow, we would follow up those readings with a discussion and, and we'd go over the concept of proof of work and concept of proof of stake and, um, and you know, what different, um, uh, incentive mechanisms there are out there and how you develop a consensus mechanism to build this economy. And, um, so we were really talking through these, these concepts together. Um, and it was an invaluable training experience. Yeah, that sounds that that sounds pretty familiar. I mean, I think a lot of the folks that are in blockchain today came, like you mentioned, they came from different areas. So you having gone through that experience of having to ramp up in blockchain and then be a, a basically a consultant uh, on blockchain at the same time. Can you give some advice to uh, people that are coming into into blockchain uh, from other areas? So how to ramp up as as a uh, as easy as possible, you, you might say. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten this question a lot, and I always tell people, um, you know, and especially, um, you know, minorities uh, or, or people who just aren't as well represented in the tech space, um, who might be more worried about their abilities to to get into this space. Um, I always say, I mean, if I can learn it, you can definitely learn it too. Um, <laughs> And so what I recommend really is it, it, it's like it's like what any um, grad school experience is, right? Like the only reason you learn anything in school or grad school is because you're forced to read. And I think you just have to do a lot of good reading. Um, 
So I often say um, when people ask me this is I think there's two um, uh, two ways in which you learn and get into this space. And one is external and one is internal and um, or extrovert and introvert. So uh, the internal one is spending time with the key papers out there, right? You got to read the Bitcoin white paper. You got to read the Ethereum white paper. Um, grab some of the books that are out there, like the Internet of Money or Blockchain Revolution. That talk about use cases. Um, you know, read uh, read a, read a, a handful. You don't need to read fifty, like I did. But um, <laughs> you know, and I've sent a list out to people. I created this list that was actually. Um, and a, and a, a Google sheet that was actually shared uh, on the on Twitter um, um, by a friend and, and shared around a bit. It was it was basically my sort of here's what you should read if you want to learn about ICOs, consensus mechanisms, um, public blockchains, you know, consortia. I had this whole list of links and YouTube videos or like one blockchain 101. Um, so you know, find a list like that out there. And um, go through it as much as possible and do that sort of self-study. Hmm. And then the other aspect of the learning and getting engaged in this field that I recommend is the external part. And that is getting involved. So um, going, finding your local meetup. A lot of this industry has met through meetups, right? That's where it started. Um, I think, you know, like Vitalik started going to a, a Bitcoin meetup in Toronto. Um, so a lot of people have met through meetups. I think that's where you're going to get to know the space, get to know um, the kind of people that you want to, uh, you know, maybe work with or hang out with or learn from. Um, and there's a lot of different options out there, right? You can go to meetups that are um, uh, technology focused or, um, you know, uh, other ones that are focused on uh, use cases or focused on, um, you know, diversity, like the one that I helped run in New York City, the Women in Blockchain Meetup, um, wherever, where, whatever you're interested in, you can find a community that can help you learn and get more involved. Um, so the meetups is obviously really easy because they're free. Um, and then, you know, depending on your ability, you know, attend some events. Um, there's, you know, definitely conferences that are out of the reach of most people. Um, but there are a lot of like smaller events that are like $15, maybe a hundred dollars, you know, that might be a bit more manageable for you to, um, to expose yourself to. And the other thing is, um, that I've also realized is that, um, you also don't have to have tickets to those major events. Um, you can just be, in the city when those events are happening because there's tons of side events, um, uh, people going out and different parties that are also other ways to, to engage and meet people. Those are great tips, by the way. Uh, thank you so much. And, and, you know, for, for the local community, I mean, Austin, there's a, uh, there's a Austin blockchain consortium 
that it's or collective um, that is uh, based here. So I'll put links in the in the notes for the Women in Blockchain in New York City as well as the Austin uh, collective. And I think there's a Austin Hyperledger meetup as well. There is, there is. I'll I'll put some details on that as well. I think we need some in North Austin where I'm located and the IBM offices are. Maybe we can uh-huh. we can make that happen uh, in the near future. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to your history here, you started in Tata uh, dealing with blockchain and educating yourself. And it seems that it was at the time, I mean, most of the conversations around blockchain were in the currency side uh, and probably tokenization. Um, how does that take you from from that type of uh, those type of conversations to be more in the hyperledger side, which is uh, or at least one of the main focuses more uh, blockchain for business per se. Yeah. So, um, I mean, at, at, at TCS, we did a bit of both. I mean, when I was at TCS, it was still very early. This is, um, you know, summer 2016 until um, early 2018. Um, and so, uh you know, business people were still, and depending on the industry, right, there was a real spectrum of um, understanding and knowledge of blockchain amongst different industries. And so what what that team did is we were doing a lot of workshops where it was mostly educational um, and brainstorming and helping them understand uh, what the technology is, what it can do, and then what are the applications in their industry, whether it be um, healthcare or supply chain or um, what's another one we did? I think we did media and entertainment as well. And oh, in insurance. Um, and so we were working with um, teams at those companies that were um, focused on uh, what's the next thing, right? Usually sort of the innovation team or a team under the CIO or CTO um, that was looking at what the next thing could be. And um, and helping them understand what that opportunity is and, and, and then leading them along this journey of uh, brainstorming use cases and um, seeing if we could work on some proofs of concepts together. So it was pretty early on. Um, and, and so it was focused on uh, the business applications of blockchain as well. Um, when I moved to Hyperledger, uh, my role really shifted into something um, it, it's, it, it's really unique because I had never worked in, uh, in open source before. So that took, uh, some getting used to because open source is really all about openness. So, um, <laughs> you know, there are no secrets at Hyperledger basically because everything is done publicly. All our, uh, meetings and discussions surrounding our different technology frameworks and tools are all done in public. Um, and so that took some getting used to, to understand this open source environment, right? Coming from, uh, you know, working in a consulting firm where in consulting, everything is a secret. Yeah. <laughs> right? so it's like the total opposite. Yeah. Um, you can't talk about what client you're working with, right? Like it's, it's just <laughs> totally different. So that was a that was a shift. But what I really what I really like about um, joining Hyperledger is, you know, a misconception that exists out there about Hyperledger is one that it's one ledger, 
right? They think that Hyperledger is um, just fabric, for example. Um, makes sense. Fabric was the first one. It's very widely used, you know, and obviously IBM promotes it a lot. Um, but what I think is really cool about Hyperledger is, is that it really is this greenhouse or um, big tent, as Brian Bellendorf, our executive director, likes to call it, where a lot of different multiple technologies can be housed and cultivated and grown. Um, and that really incorporate all the kinds of innovations that are happening across the blockchain sector, right? So we had a community that was really interested in Ethereum. They wanted to see how, um, you know, Ethereum could be used in more business contexts. So this one company worked uh, called Monax. They worked on developing a fork of Ethereum so that you could have permissioned smart contracts. Um, because in certain business situations, you just can't have your contracts out in, out in the public. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think it's really cool how it's it, it's not um, and, and it is deceiving with the name Hyperledger. Right. Sounds like it's one ledger, um, but it really isn't one thing. It's it's really a community um, of technologists, of enterprises that are um, working to solve problems and make this technology work um, for high throughput, uh, scalable use cases. So can you highlight a, a handful or a couple of different projects or initiatives that are going on today that you may be involved with? Yeah, absolutely. Our community continues to grow. We keep uh, adding new members, adding new technologies and frameworks. A couple things that I just to highlight, um, Hyperledger Indie is a project that I think is gaining even more traction. Um, it is a digital identity framework that was developed by the by Evernim and the Sovereign Foundation, who are really two leaders in this digital identity space. They're heavily involved in the Decentralized Identity Foundation. Um, and W3C, W3C, um, which is a standards organization for identity as well. Um, and there's, there's just some really cool actual production live use cases coming out, um, that are using Indie. And one that I find, um, find interesting is, is one that's coming out of Canada, It's their uh, verifiable organizations network that was actually developed by the government of Ottawa and British Columbia. And um, what it does is it's, it's creating an easy, um, secure onboarding system for companies to uh, register themselves um, as, as corporations Um, or uh, register a license, for example, like a liquor license or some other kind of license, um, and have that uh, information be on a, a shareable network, but that's also secure. So, so apparently the way that this was done previously involved a lot of paperwork that was shared across different government offices um, without actually very many privacy-preserving measures for sensitive company information. Hmm. Um, and, so, um, and so this is now something that isn't just usable in government of Ottawa or British Columbia, but that other provinces are being able to use it as well. 
Um, and it's just streamlining that process significantly for uh, the, the companies and the government side. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I, I've seen uh, interest for, for Indy in the last few months. And a lot of our projects are focusing now more in the ID, uh, ID side of, of the house as opposed to uh, only Hyperledger fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's very interesting. Yeah, and it's 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 good because indie is indie from um, from the get go was thinking about how it would work with GDPR, um, and there's a really great blog post by um, the legal counsel at Evernam, Elizabeth Renaris. If you just Google it, um, I think you know Evernam uh, GDPR compliant. And it's this four part blog where she lays out how, um, how, what they're building is, is, uh, at least somewhat GDPR compliant, um, which is a huge challenge for a lot of the blockchain identity solutions out there because, um, there's a lot of stipulations in, in the GDPR, um, regulations, um, about being able to, um, delete or forget or adjust things that blockchain isn't typically designed to do awesome so one of the things i wanted to ask you about was uh was the women in blockchain in new york city can you tell us a little bit about that group and how did it get started what what do you do with the group and and what's the uh how's that community growing so women in blockchain was started as a meetup here in new york city by tessie moraine of consensus she started it in when was that? I think, uh, in fall 2016, um, I was there at the very first meetup that she did. Um, Amber Balday was also there. She helped start it. Um, she used to be at JP Morgan, um, but now has her own startup Clover. And, um, and so it started as a way to just, I, I think the the initial spirit was really, um, this is a really amazing technology that has the power to impact uh, a lot of different aspects of society and let's take let's take a lessons learned um, and not repeat the mistakes of how the tech industry originally developed um, in the in the 90s and 2000s very white male dominated and let's get others involved um, specifically women um, but also, anyone, anyone, um, who's a minority who's interested in joining. And so it started as a way to highlight female leaders, highlight women speakers. Uh, we only have women speak at our meetups and we've had a meetup, um, basically every month since it started. Um, and, and talk about what projects they're working on and what it is that they're building, um, or what they're innovating in the blockchain space. So it's been very successful. We've grown. I joined um, officially um, into the organizing team around, I think, May 2017. I was actually I actually participated on a panel that they did for supply chain use cases. Um, And after that, I was like, you know, I really want to get involved in this effort. How can I help out? Um, And from there, we sort of developed into this five person initially, and now we're a six person organizing team. 
um, that puts on these uh, monthly events and brings together this community in New York City um, to learn, uh, make it easy. A, a, big, a big thing for us in the beginning was also, um, you know, there was sometimes this attitude in some blockchain events and, and, and spaces where um, people were being a bit arrogant about what they knew. You know, they were pe people were um, not making it easy to ask one-on-one kind of questions. Um, people were really just sort of being a bit um, arrogant about, you know, wanting to explain basics to people. Um, and we wanted to create a space where it doesn't matter how little, you know, you can ask us like, what is a blockchain and, um, and, and you're free to ask those types of questions. Right. And so it, it, we became this welcoming community where people felt like they could really learn, um, and really connect with people. Um, we've had, uh, women in our community get jobs, uh, start companies, um, based on attending our events. So it's been really cool to see uh, how you can build a community and really make an impact in that way. Um, but we started to think around last year, we thought, you know, this shouldn't just be about New York. And these sort of women in blockchain type meetups were, was, were starting in other areas as well. We thought, let's not all be um, doing separate things. Let's try and all get on the same page and make this a global network. So we started a Slack group, um, that brings together all the women in blockchain meetups in different cities around the world. So we have, um, uh, Melbourne, Australia, Sydney, Australia, um, Paris, Manila, Philippines, Berlin, uh, different cities in the U S um, all, with their own um, uh, channel on our Slack so that they, they, those local communities can engage with each other, but then also having this global uh, channel where all of the communities can engage with each other. Or if I'm traveling to a city, I can then go and engage um, and, and send a message to the people in Hong Kong and say, hey, I'd love to meet some of the ladies that are in Hong Kong. Um, and so it's, we've, we've, we've sort of wanted to create a bring people together under common principles, but, um, we don't in any way, uh, it's, it's still decentralized in the sense that they run their own meetups. Like we're not telling them what to do or controlling or in any way, we're just kind of, um, facilitating a lot like how Hyperledger does actually like facilitating <laughs> this global community, bringing it all back together. huh? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's great. And I didn't realize that you guys uh, had that connection with all the other groups around the world. So that's actually really, really interesting and uh, really exciting. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we're, we're, there's a, a lot of these other groups are popping up um, elsewhere as well. And we're happy to collaborate and support these. Like, for example, there's also this new um, diversity and blockchain group that's popping up here in New York and it's going to launch soon. Um, so it, it's great to see that there, uh, is a lot of interest and activity around this and that a lot of, uh, minorities feel empowered to have a voice in this new technology in a way that we didn't see with the internet. 
Yeah, that's that's actually that's a good point. And I'll tell you, I think when I moved to this team, I, I joined this team uh, in July 27, uh, 2018, last year. And I think it's the first time, although IBM has always had minorities, uh, you know, and I've been in groups with minorities. This is probably the first time that I have two other Puerto Ricans in the team. I've never yeah. worked with another Puerto Rican in my team in, in any company uh, that I work for. And probably the majority of the folks in the team are minorities to begin with. Um, so to me, that's... I mean, I never really, I guess, thought about it too much. But now thinking... Uh, you know, listening to you speak, it, it makes pretty great, you know, the, the fact that, you know, it's, it's changing. Yeah. And speaking of Puerto Rico, we have kind of a, a budding Hyperledger meetup there. So if you know anyone um, who's involved in this industry in Puerto Rico, definitely connect them with our meetup there so that that can become um, uh, a robust community. Because I think that, you know, for areas like that, um, there's just so much uh, opportunity that you that you could have with a technology like this that could really help um, um, places like Puerto Rico, you know, um, develop a new kind of energy grid, or you know, who knows? There's so many different things that could happen. Great, great. So, I mean, you're director of ecosystem and Hyperledger. I have a little bit of background about uh, some of the social work that you're doing uh, today. So, what's next for for Karen? Um. So, for me, I think what's next for me at Hyperledger is really um, seeing our community grow. We've added two new um, uh, frameworks and tools. We've got Hyperledger Grid, which got added in. Uh, December and Hyperledger Ursa, which is a crypto library, got added just in January. So just seeing how this community is growing and helping um, in my role as in, in the ecosystem team to help that community grow is is really what I see going forward for us. And seeing Hyperledger being used in production use cases as we as we're starting to see that a lot more and more. Um, and I think this year will really demonstrate that as well. Um, I also am involved, I didn't actually get a chance to mention this, but, um, one thing we have at Hyperledger, in addition to the community surrounding our technologies like Fabric or Sawtooth or Indie or all the other ones that I've mentioned, um, we also have communities that center around technical topics and, um, sectors. So for example, if you're a bit more technical and you want to get into architecture, we have an architecture working group or performance and scalability working group. Um, but something that we're growing a lot now is our special interest groups. And these align typically with a sector. So we have one in public sector. We have a social impact one, which I'm heavily involved in. We have a telecom, a supply chain SIG, um, and they're getting added um, little by little as interested community members say, hey, I think I want to bring a community around this sector together to talk about um, what we can do with blockchain and Hyperledger. And so seeing those communities grow is something that um, I'm excited about. And I'm really excited about being involved in the social impact one because it does touch at um, sort of my background and um, I'd love to see this technology be used um, to help the neediest in the world. 
Um, and so hearing what the people that are involved in that group are doing, the projects that they're doing in Nepal, um, in Rwanda with coffee, um, are, are really exciting. Great. And where can we, uh, the listeners look at the communities that are available today or even start their own? So um, the best place to go is to our wiki. It's really easy to remember. It's wiki.hyperledger.org. Um, and there you can find all our different working groups um, uh, and all our different special interest groups the regular meeting uh, calls that they have. You can listen to recordings of previous meetings, join the mailing list to join the conversation as well. Awesome, Karen. So thank you so much for taking taking part of your time and being a guest in the podcast. I hope uh, you visit us again uh, in, in the future and tell us a little bit about the new projects that are that are going on in Hyperledger and that you have with for the community. Thank you so much, Rico. It was great talking to you, and, and um, I'm really excited to hear um, the other episodes that you developed as well. Thank you.